Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of Photo Taco. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I know it has been a long time since the last episode. Sorry about that. Life happened. I couldn't record. I didn't have time. But I'm back. At least for now. I I really want to make this a monthly show, but... Life is still happening, so we'll see how it goes. In this episode, I'm going to share a lot of testing results that I hope will help photographers know how to make Denoise AI run as fast as possible. And as I say that, Denoise AI, what what the heck is Denoise AI? If you know what that is, you can skip forward probably two minutes or so. But if you don't, it's a, it's software. It's an application that you run on your computer from Topaz Labs. They have a lot of software that they offer that has artificial intelligence as part of what they do. And Denoise, uh, it runs on both PC and Mac, but it specializes in applying noise reduction to photos. Um, specifically, it uses that artificial intelligence, some, some models to be able to analyze your photos and automatically figure out how to best reduce the, the noise, but while giving up like the least amount of detail and sharpness. And that's always the balance you have to strike. You can apply noise reduction pretty easily. But if you tape, do it overboard or, or in the wrong way, you lose a lot of detail and your pictures start looking mushy and, uh, and you can tell that the noise reduction was overdone. So AI can kind of analyze your software. Like it, it does actually look at every single image and figure out unique to every single image what should be done with this image to reduce noise. So that doesn't that sound great? Like <laughs> I hear from photographers constantly about like, it's so hard for them to figure out all of the sliders related to sharpness and noise in Lightroom in particular. But in Photoshop, it's it's not only in, in RAW, so same Lightroom slider controls, but there's other ways that you can try to deal with noise in Photoshop. And they find it daunting and complex. And man, can uh, AI actually figure this out for them without having to learn how to do all that, how to balance all of those sliders? Yeah, in short, it it pretty much does do that. Um, is it worth it for you as a photographer to invest in the licensing to buy the software, which is uh, annual subscription, by the way, or not? Well, that's a question I think only you can answer. I do have my recommendations. I have some really good examples of using the software compared to what you can do in Lightroom and Photoshop. It's in an article you can find over at phototacopodcast.com called Topaz Denoise AI versus Lightroom and Photoshop. You can just search like Denoise, that's D-E-N-O-I-S-E in the search bar and that article should come right up and you'll be able to see it. I don't want to focus on any more than that here in this episode because this episode is all about the hardware that runs Denoise AI. How is your computer up to snuff? Um, I've seen it. I've heard from a lot of photographers that they they start finding out about Denoise AI mostly because they need to eliminate noise and they're not feeling like they get enough out of what they can do in Lightroom, what maybe what their skill set is, or even what just limitations of Lightroom is software. And they're looking for other tools that maybe can do a better job. And Denoise AI is something they they find quickly as a, a tool. Then they also see in the marketing pages mention of like graphics card or GPU processing being something that's really needed for the software to work. And then they get worried if their computer can run it. So, I mean, the good news is there's trial versions of the software. You can totally just go give it a try 
And I think it's only time-based and not like pick number of pictures through it. So you can put as many pictures as you want through the software uh, while you have the trial license. And so you can kind of tell like, is this going to work on my computer? Is it a tool worth it to me on your own images? And really kind of test it out. You're going to be the best judge of that of anybody to see if it's worth it to you to invest in the software. Um, I'm, I'm, so now let's go through like hardware though and answer that question about will it run on my computer? Um, or as you are face, a photographer facing like I need to buy a new computer and Denoise AI or any of the other Topaz products like Sharpen AI and uh, Gigapixel AI are those what's going to matter in when I get a new computer in buying software? What should I be looking for to be able to make sure I can run those the fastest they possibly can? Lots of times how we cover things here. So I needed to do some real world testing. And as usually the case here on Photo Taco, that doesn't mean I take a handful of photos and I throw them through the software and, uh, you know, maybe monitor the with activity monitor or uh, little tools to try to see what use of the hardware happens. Or I have to take this to the Photo Taco level. <laughs> that means real world testing of a lot of images and um, serious metric gathering. So let's walk through the test setup that I used in all of the data that I'm, I'm about to share with you on this episode. So first off, raw images. And I, I knew I needed to use raw images, not because of my own choice or because uh, it was my thoughts. It This is Topaz Labs recommending that. They say that the best results are feeding raw files through Denoise AI. Like the images that come right off of your memory card copy them to your computer, but before you bring them into Lightroom or before you edit them in Photoshop, you run them through Denoise AI first. And, um, and then you get the best results. In fact, here's, here's specifically what they say in a blog post they called The Future of Noise Reduction is Raw. Topaz Labs said, our raw model uses all of that rich sensor data to provide results that are cleaner than anything else out there, even our existing models. We, are, we also made serious improvements to our DNG output support, so you'll still be able to edit your saved images with the same precision as your raw files. So, yeah, they're, they're clearly saying you really need to feed your raw files through the software. All right, so that means I have to use raw files. Great. How many? <laughs> How many should be part of the test? I didn't want to do just like 10 even or 20 I had to figure out what what's the right number of images to throw through the software. And that means I need to think of the use case. What type of photographer is the one most likely to need Denoise AI? Well, it's going to be a photographer who's facing low light shooting situations on a really regular basis, very frequent basis of low light shooting. So, well, that seems like wedding photographers. Yeah. Seems like maybe even just mostly event photographers and sports photographers they're likely to face that kind of a, an environment almost always <laughs> have large numbers of images that come out of shoots where it's just shot in low light and there's nothing you can do about it. Even if you add off camera flash, it's pretty low light uh, and uh, off camera flash or, or flash at all can be disruptive. So it may not always be an option. It, it's, it's a challenge. So with those kinds of photographers, how many images would they be needing to put through the software? If they came back from a shoot and the scenario that Topaz is recommending is you run it through the software first before anything else. So you empty your memory card, copying it to the computer, and then run it through De Denoise AI. 
Well, that should mean probably somewhere between a thousand to three thousand images is my guess. Um, you know, in the events that I do where I've shot in low, low light, uh, sports photography mostly, I will come back with close to 3,000 images from a, a basketball game or a football game that I've shot. So I'm imagining that's kind of an average scenario, but it could be more, it could be less, kind of, you know, very dependent on the photographer. But I thought, all right, 2,000. What, what if we just kind of split that down the middle? Let's say 2,000 images would be the test. And I could use images from some of my sports shooting as an example, where I have 2,000 different unique images that would challenge the software to have to analyze each one of those and apply the denoise algorithm to them. And, and we could time it and we could uh, watch the metrics, how much CPU and memory and, and everything is being used along the way. So that's that was my target. Then I did some initial testing and I quickly had to change my mind <laughs> because there is no way an event photographer or a sports photographer is going to sit through, uh, sit waiting for Denoise AI to process through their 2,000 raw images. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't matter what computer you have. You can have the very greatest computer there is, and it's going to take way too long. And you'll see that as we get into some of the results and the timing that we did. So that was immediately out the door. There's... There's not enough time to be able to even test that, but it's not practical for photographers to wait for it either. What is the better number then? What what could be the workflow, since that's not practical, that these event photographers or, or someone who's got like a lot of images that need to be, have Denoise AI a part of it and still do raw, what can they do? Well, you could take like the cold images, because certainly we're not going to use all 2,000, 3,000 images that come out of an event shoot. Uh, especially with the sports, you tend to get a whole lot of images that you're where you're just like mashing down the shutter button and wanting to capture like the very apex of the action. And so you're going to throw away a lot of images. And maybe in, even in a wedding, uh, a lot of events, you're probably just still going to throw away a whole lot of images. So I came to a number of 300 raw images. That seemed like a practical kind of solution with the time that I was seeing with Denoise AI processing through the images where it was reasonable, still longer than I expected, but reasonable to be able to do the testing and a reasonable use case if photographers do need to feed raw files through Denoise AI software. Um, other things that were important to the test just to make sure we got accurate metrics. We, we want to measure what's happening with Denoise AI. Um, we reboot reboot the computer before every test to give it a fresh, clean start, and we immediately shut down everything else on the computer. You have startup programs. A lot of you will have like Adobe Creative Cloud that will start up and Dropbox, and there's things that are probably starting up with your computer. We shut all those down because we don't we don't want those programs running to be taking any of the computer's resources, the CPU, the memory, uh, accessing the disk. We, we wanted all of that turned off so that we only have Denoise AI running and we get a, as clear a picture as we can about what it needs. Um, I'm also gathering metrics about every five seconds. And so I'm doing that via two different ways because I have Mac and PC and they're very different. So um, I'm using on the Mac something called iStat Menus 6, Really good software I, I love. I love the, the data it provides. It's this little lightweight utility that puts metrics on your menu bar on the Mac. 
and it stores those metrics in a little SQLite database that's on your computer. So I can just grab that SQLite database, copy it off. I can do some queries and I can get mins and maxes or averages and maxes of the metrics that I'm looking for along the way. On PC, a little different. Uh, there's these things called counters that PCs have running pretty continuously. And I wrote a PowerShell script that just pulls queries those counters, pulls them out and writes out to a CSV file every five seconds. And then I can like import the CSV into Excel and, and do the same average and max calculations. So they're not fully apples to apples, obviously. We have two different ways of gathering the metrics. And the metrics are not exactly identical, but... It's pretty darn close. It's as close as I know how to get it so that we can compare these things as equal uh, playing field as possible and uh, kind of excited. Uh, One final note on the testing setup was that all of these test results I'm going to share with you are with Denoise AI 3.4.2. While I was doing the testing, Topaz Labs released version 3.5, but we made sure I, I had to outsource a little bit of the testing to others who had hardware I don't so that we could kind of see the impact of different pieces of hardware along the way. So uh, all of them is 3.4.2, and obviously things could change with 3.5 and, and beyond as, uh, as we do this. Um, I also, unless I state otherwise, the test is on Canon CR3 RAW files. So I, I did most of the testing using those files, um, but I do have some examples, some other RAW types that we'll get to before the end. All right, that's uh, that's the testing setup. Now that you've endured through that, let's get into like the nitty gritty. The first one to tackle, does a GPU make Denoise AI faster? It's all over in their marketing materials. You need a GPU, but do you really? What's the actual impact of running Topaz Denoise AI? Because you can run it without a GPU. You can run it in just CPU mode. There's a little switch in the software. You can even switch between the two, which I used heavily in these tests. So do you really, really need it? Let's start with the very worst results. And it's because it's a really good example about how just how impactful a good GPU is to making Denoise AI run the best it can. Uh, I have a PC that I custom built back in 2014. And it is a fourth generation Intel Core i7 4770K CPU. So it's, it's dated. It's a very old CPU. It has 32 gigabytes of RAM. Now, this is not the same as 32 gigabytes of RAM today. It's older, slower memory, but it's 32 gigabytes of it. And a GTX 1060 GPU with 3 gigabytes of RAM. So (laughs) that is also a fairly dated card, though it is only about 4 years old, where the rest of the computer is 8 years old. And it also has a fairly low amount of memory at 3 gigabytes than others. So we're going to get into a lot of specs about every one of those things But just to compare CPU processing versus GPU processing, I used that setup on that computer. And uh, with GPU enabled, it took a runtime of 57 minutes and 48 seconds to process those 300 Canon CR3 RAW files. Yes, that's right. Almost an hour. Remember I told you that it was not practical to think that you're going to process 2,000 images through this? That would take a long time. Now, there's some that ran this quite a bit faster than that, and we'll get to it. But it's still not practical. I I was surprised at just how slowly this Denoise AI processed, even on really fast hardware. The good news is I think there's some room for Topaz Labs to 
um, to improve this, especially on M1 Max, and we'll get all into that. How did it compare then on CPU processing time? <laughs> it was 342%, 43% slower. 343% slower just CPU processing of the exact same images on the exact same computer. All I did was went in the software and said, use the CPU instead of the GPU. And it, it was that much slower, which means it was four hours, 15 minutes, and 50 seconds. It took forever. That's 51 seconds in image compared to 12 seconds in image with the GPU processing. Same computer, just using GPU versus CPU. Obviously, GPU makes a massive massive difference in being able to process or have denoise AI go as fast as it possibly can. Let's get a couple of more examples though, because that, that's a computer that's eight years old. Does it hold true on computers more current or how much of a difference is there? Uh, the first one that I had was a 10th generation Intel Nook. So this is about a two-year-old computer. It's a Core i7 mobile processor, so not full desktop, but it does have 64 gigabytes of really fast memory, but and, and also no real dis GPU. There's no discrete graphics card in the Nook. You can't do that. It's a very small form factor machine. Instead, that computer ha only has the built-in or integrated Intel UHD graphics. And that's not real serious as GPU kind of processing, but that's what's in the computer. So I still could do GPU processing on it versus CPU. And the uh, the GPU-based processing on that machine took two hours, three minutes, and 41 seconds. Pretty slow. Pretty, pretty slow. That That's with GPU. But without the GPU and a fairly new processor, Core i7, it took three hours, 58 minutes, and 39 seconds. 92%, 93% slower with just CPU. And almost as slow. It was only about 20 minutes faster than my old my eight-year-old computer. So yeah, that, that processor in that Intel Nook is also kind of skimpy, but the and the GPU is very skimpy. Uh, so neither of those is really ideal. Does it work? Absolutely. At about 25 seconds an image at the fastest. So if you're going to do an image here or there on an Intel Nook, yeah, it's totally going to work. It's very reasonable. That, that's going to be just fine. But if you're going to process a lot of raw files through it, yeah, it's not, not a reasonable solution. That Intel Nook is not going to uh, be good enough. Okay, what about a more contemporary machine, a newer machine that's got a full-blown big desktop CPU and a newer, full-blown, discrete graphics card? Thankfully, I had a friend, that, a listener, that ran some tests for me that had a 10th generation Core i9 10900K CPU. Very good, current, eh, not fully current, but pretty current uh, CPU with 32 gigabytes of RAM and an RTX 2080 GPU with eight gigabytes of RAM. So that's, it's a pretty good contemporary modern card. There are newer ones, so it's not fully current, but it's way better than either of the machines I've shared the information on so far. The, uh, the GPU test finished in 31 minutes and 12 seconds. So that was way faster than any of the other things. And when you did just CPU testing, it was 180% slower at an hour and 27 minutes. So a difference of six second in, seconds in image with GPU processing and 17 seconds in image without. So without a doubt, 
GPU makes Denoise AI faster. No question at all. It is a massive factor. So some of you listening are like, okay, you've done a whole bunch of PC numbers. What about Max? What about Max? What about the M1s in particular, M1 processors in, in, in particular? Since they don't have discrete graphics, you don't have an NVIDIA or an AMD graphics card inside those Macs. How do they work? Do they, do they run this okay? And we'll get to it. But first, let's talk about a little bit more GPU kinds of specifics. We talked about GPU processing, but there's two pieces of like the GPU that could make a difference. There's the memory on the GPU. And remember, my old machine had a graphics card with three gig of memory. And the newest one that was that, uh, that very newest computer had eight gigs of memory on the graphics card. So there, that could be a difference. And then there's processors too. In the NVIDIA world, it's called uh, CUDA cores, and that's um, that's what you, you could also be a difference. And, and so which of those two matters? Well, let's start with the GPU memory first, often called VRAM for video RAM, and I'll kind of use those terms interchangeably a little bit. Um, so I have several tests from PCs with various levels of GPU memory, and I can't directly say between them because that we have more differences in these computers than just the GPU memory. So I can't, it's not conclusive, but the data points to GPU memory not being a significant factor in the speed of Denoise AI. And here's why the GPU memory utilization only maxed out at about 60%. And that was on my graphics card that had three gigabytes of RAM. Um, It it maxed out at about 55% on those that had eight gigabytes. So that means it was using more. It used about four gigs of RAM on when there was more available, but it never used 100% of the GPU memory. And so that whenever you don't have 100% utilization on any hardware resource, it's hard to tell if that's a bottleneck. Uh, it's likely not a bottle. It's not likely not the reason that the software isn't running faster. And, and if you add more of it, it's not likely to make a big difference in the testing, especially when there's other places where you can see a hundred percent utilization. So yeah, I don't think the, the amount of video memory is a major factor in making Denoise AI run faster. However, the number of cores, there's good evidence to say that is pretty important, um, that that has a dramatic impact. So on the machines that I tested, there was, uh, there, there were five machines that got up to pretty much a hundred percent utilization of the GPU cores that were available. And then that last machine, that one with the RTX 2080, eight gigabytes of Ram only used 50%. So the number of CUDA cores in that RTX 2080 say that, yeah, the the bottleneck became something else besides GPU processing cores, and it probably wasn't the GPU memory either. There's something else that was limiting the throughput or the performance, and it might just be how the software is written. It it may be that uh, Topaz Labs needs to to put a little bit more work into leveraging the full power of those GPU cores um, as they process these images. So it is more important, or it's likely that it could make a difference that you, if you have more GPU cores, you can improve the speed of Denoise AI. How much? Well, it's hard to say for sure how much, again, because we don't have 
direct comparisons. But when you go from a GTX 2080 to a GTX 2060, um, well, actually, that's not a good comparison because the CPU is so different. So you, you go from the a CPU where there's it's the, the 10th gen Core i9 to the 9th gen Core i7. And the G, the GPUs were 2080 and 1660. So the CPUs are fairly close, but the GPUs were pretty far apart. That was about a 45% difference in time. So that's that's meaningful. That And adding GPU cores to the processing of this could really, really help. Should photographers then, who use PCs and likely can actually upgrade their graphics cards, should they do that in order to get more performance? Well, I think it's going to have to depend on on your use case. And is 45% faster really going to help you and be be meaningful to your bottom line? If so, it may be worth the cost. Unfortunately, GPU graphics cards are so expensive right now. Thank you, crypto. Oh, I just hate that. Uh, But they're so expensive, it may not be worth it. So probably not. In the current environment with GPU costing so much, it probably will not be worth it for to upgrade the GPU to save yourself a little bit of time, but you'll, you know, your mileage may vary, your use may vary, and and we we may see it. Um, okay, so what about then? Just to add to the data, I do have an, an example where I can compare two machines between GPU and CPU, and we can try try to draw some relative analysis between these two. So if you compared that most current 10th gen Core i9 with the RTX 2080 graphics card, very new, very best hardware, the one that ran at fastest at 31 minutes and 12 seconds, to my very old <laughs> computer with the old GPU, um, my old computer ran it 85% slower in GPU mode, which is significant. But when we have both computers run in CPU mode only and don't do GPU, it was 200% slower, the older machine. So a testament, number one, to how much better the uh, the Core i9, the 10th gen Core i9 is over the 4th gen Core i7. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, very big difference there. But it's, it's also a much bigger gap in the CPU than it was in the GPU. So that just gives a little bit more credence to, yeah, the GPU is definitely going to matter, but probably not enough to merit spending the money to upgrade your graphics card in your computer. If you're buying a new one, you get the graphics card. You definitely want to do that. But it's probably not worth spending money on a new graphics card. All right, let's talk now GPU cores in the Apple M1. I know you're all dying to hear that. Does it run? How does it fare? Does the M1 compare at all to these PCs with these really big graphics cards in them? And the really good news is... Yeah, they compare really, really well. Now, I have two M1-based Macs. I have one that's the original uh, 13-inch M1 MacBook Pro. And I have a 14-inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro. But I also got some listeners to help me do some testing who had a 14-inch M1 Max um, MacBook Pro and a 16-inch M1 Max MacBook Pro with uh, with some some good specs. So we were able to run all these tests against all of those, and I have a, a graphic you can go look at in the show notes. But the Macs actually performed the very best of all the machines I tested. The 16-inch M1 Max with 64 gigabytes of memory in high power mode, too, 
uh, completed the processing of the 300 Canon CR3 files in 30 minutes and 26 seconds. That was the very fastest test of all of them that I ran over <laughs> over many weeks. Uh, second to it at only 0.5% slower. <laughs> so small, it's within the margin of error of the test. And if we ran these tests 100 times, we may find that the average result is 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 exactly the same. But the 14-inch M1 Max with only 32 gigabytes of memory came in second there at 0.5% slower, 30 minutes and 35 seconds, and still faster than any of the PCs that I tested. So that's that's meaningful and interesting that the half the memory didn't have almost any impact on the result. Then came in the, that very current PC, the 10th Gen Core i9 with RTX 2080 graphics card, 31 minutes, 12 seconds, but it was 2.5% slower than the best M1. And then my 14-inch M1 Pro came in. That only has 16 gigabytes of memory. So one quarter of the memory and only the Pro instead of the Max cost me 4% of, in performance. I think that is probably the best price-to-performance value of anything that I tested was that specific model. The 14-inch M1 Pro with 16 gigabytes of RAM. That's beautiful. It was 31 minutes, 39 seconds. That is that is really, really good. The, the next one in line was the last of the MacBooks that was in my tests, and that's that 13-inch M1 with 16 gigabytes of RAM. And that was 28% slower than the fastest one. So the, it's considerably different there. But again, price to performance, I wouldn't buy the 13-inch MacBook Pro. I'd buy the 13-inch MacBook Air with the M1 and 16 gig of RAM because it's pretty much it's identical in performance. And um, that might be actually the very best price to performance, but I didn't have one to test with, so I couldn't say that one for sure. Then comes in all the PCs. And, and one of the interesting things was we did have a PC that had an AMD, only had one with an AMD processor. So I don't want the conclusion to be taken away from this that the M1 Macs are faster than all PCs because that's not true. <laughs> I didn't test all PCs. I didn't even have the most current generation of any PC equipment in this test. And I didn't have uh, specifically the most current generation of AMD processors, CPU, in this test. So there's, I, I definitely, I'm confident that if we got uh, some some more current PC hardware, they could beat the times on the M1 Max. Uh, but it's just really cool to see that the M1 Max are holding up really well against PCs that have some decent equipment. One of the PCs that I did, the only one that had the AMD processor was one with the AMD FX8350 processor, and it had a really good graphics card, an RTX 2060. And it was 158% slower than that best M1 Mac. It took an hour, 18 minutes, 36 seconds. So um, kind of middle of the pack. Uh, I, yeah, it's just, it's not great. And it's probably that AMD CPU that's the, the reason for that, that time that's there. So yeah, M1 Max do pretty well. I, I was really glad to see that. Um, a note on Topaz has some room to improve this with M1 Max too. So one of the things to note was, you know, the memory didn't seem to be a massive factor in the the results that were here, but um, it could be, and it's hard to tell for sure. The, the reason I don't say it is, 
the maximum GPU processing on the M1 Max was not 100%. It was on the PCs, if you'll remember. That's why I said it might be worth it to update the graphics cards. It couldn't depend on your situation. Because those graphics cards were 100% utilized with the lower CUDA core count, and upgrading to something that had more cores, you probably could get a little bit more performance. Where with the M1 Max, the maximum GPU processing that was used was 60%. So 40% of the GPU cores were not used. And so increasing that core count or, yeah, on the M1 Max isn't likely to change the results that much. Whereas if we, um, so I, I think it just means that Topaz has room to improve their software. I don't think, I think the M1 processors are, are new enough that that Topaz has some work to do to figure out if they can uh, better utilize those cores and maybe even improve the performance a lot more. Totally excited to be able to see where that goes. Do faster CPUs make Denoise AI faster? That's kind of the next question that was there. We, we've kind of gone through everything with GPU. What about CPU? We, we talked a little bit about it. And I've already illustrated a little bit how there was this, that graphics or that machine that had the AMD processor in it. That's a, a weaker, a, an older and weaker kind of G- CPU than the Core i9, which was kind of the top of the line Intel processor that was 10th gen. Um, and they both had similar graphics cards. They're not the same though. One, the, the, ten, core, the 10th generation Core i9 had 20, uh, 2080 card, an RTX 2080 graphics card with eight gigabytes of RAM while this AMD FX8350 processor had the RTX 2060 graphics card with 6 gigabytes. You might think, oh, those probably aren't that different. It's actually about 50% more GPU cores on that RTX 2080 over the 2060. So you should expect about a 50% change in performance if GPU cores was like the thing that mattered. If that was the most important factor in how Denoise AI ran, then this test between those two should be about a 50% difference. They weren't. They were 150% different. So the CPU still plays a pretty important role here. That's kind of the biggest difference between those two machines was that AMD processor is older and and just not as as solid or or, uh, powerful a, a CPU um that that was available even in the AMD lineup it's just not one of the bigger ones so yeah that CPU still makes quite a bit of difference and um so now the question is well should photographers update their CPU upgrade their CPU if they can and no i i, I really just don't think that that's something you should do um <laughs> it's possible and 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 it used to be a, a much bigger deal a long time ago where having a a custom built PC and being able to like pop the CPU out and put in a new one to upgrade it was meaningful and and really mattered. I don't think it's likely to here. Um, It's certainly not going to be worth uh, doing that, especially because upgrading the CPU from one generation to another often today means you have to upgrade the motherboard. And there's just so many things that, that go along with it. I recommend that photographers really just make sure they pick a good current CPU as they're buying their computer. And in this case, it looks like the more the better. The 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 more chance you have of being able to have Denoise AI run the best it can if you have as fast as CPUs you can you can possibly afford to get in your computer. 
And with M1, maybe, well, I guess I should backtrack a little. That may be case in PCs. I would definitely like the Core i7 versus the Core i9. I don't have definitive results, but I think it's it's fast enough that I would I would opt for the Core i9 if Denoise AI is a big part of your workflow. But with the M1s, we already went through that the M1 Max versus the M1 Pro didn't see a huge difference. It was only about two percent different, and that was with lots a lot less memory too. So yeah, the the M1 machines don't seem to matter between M1 Pro and M1 Max. As far as Denoise AI, it's not like noticeably faster. It's about the same. So that's where CPU fits. Okay, now what about RAM? So we've talked about GPU memory, but there's computer memory too. And and that RAM, how much of that makes a difference? So it's tough to compare the PCs with the Macs. They're just very different in how it worked, especially in how the data turned out. And there's a, a really specific thing I'll note about M1s in just a second. For PCs then, what? how much RAM actually got used while these tests were running? So here's the interesting thing. It's pretty standard now, 32 gigabytes of RAM on a photo editing PC slash video editing PC, maybe even 64 some even have 128. I didn't have any tests with that much. Lots of memories available in PCs traditionally. It has been that way for years now. I mean, I have an eight-year-old computer that has 32 gigabytes of computer memory installed. But, um, but how much did Denoise AI actually use? Well, it turns out a max of about 23 gigabytes. <laughs> even when there was 64 gigabytes available, it still only used about 23 gigabytes of RAM. So it doesn't it means that on a PC more than 32 gigabytes of memory doesn't really change the results much. Definitely not worth uh upgrading your your memory if you have 32 gig already. If you only have 16, well then 23 means you run out of physical memory and you're going to have to use swap. We're going to talk a lot more about swap in just a second. And yeah, that that probably would be worth doing, especially because the cost of memory is not astronomical like it is a GPU uh, where because of crypto, they're just insane in how much they cost. So it might be worth it if you can pop open the lid of a PC and swap out 16 gig sticks for 32 gig, then that that might be worth doing to increase your performance of Denoise AI. Now let's talk about M1 because that's a, a whole different scenario. We didn't see a huge difference between the amount of memory um, between in the M1s. Remember, we had the 16-inch with 64 gig of RAM. It was only 0.5% slower to have the 14-inch with 32 gigabytes of RAM. That's just not uh, much. You're totally fine with 32 gigabytes. And even the uh, M1 Pro with 16 gig, it was only a 4% difference. So yeah, the, the amount of memory in the M1s, totally different kind of performance metrics. And it's holding true in other tests I do as I've run Lightroom and Photoshop and I've been using the M1 day to day in my photo editing for about a year now. I'm seeing that what used to need at least 32 gigabytes of RAM, maybe even 64 on Intel based Macs and on Intel PCs uh, that you needed 32 or or 64 to really avoid getting swap usage and uh, slowing down your PC or slowing down your computer as you did your photo editing. It doesn't seem to be a problem at all for the M1s. And mostly I think it's because of the insanely fast SSD speeds. 
the cost of having swap get used when you run out of physical memory and it and an application still needs more memory and it starts using your internal storage as if it were memory. That used to be a massively different speed. And we have closed that gap considerably. So much that 16 gigabytes of RAM on an M1 Mac is the new 32. <laughs> yeah, 16 is going to do you just fine. I've been so happy with my both of my M1 Macs with 16 gigabytes of memory. And that's holding true here. There is a problem, though. I did see interesting things where swap started getting used early on the M1 into noise AI. So no swap got used on the computers with, uh, on the PCs. They just it never touched the swap. With the 16 gigabyte models, I got 15 giga swap on the M1 Pro and 19 gigabytes of swap on the M1 original. So it went into the swap, even though like the max RAM only said 15, it never got actually to 16. And maybe that's an OS level limitation, but yeah, it kind of says you needed like 30 gig of RAM to do the processing of these. Again, this is a, with the, the 300 CR3 files from Canon. And yeah, it, it seems like that would be valuable. So then on the 32 gigabyte machine, the 14-inch the M1 Max with 32 gigabytes of memory, it still used about 1.2 gigabytes of swap. It still got into the swap space. And then with the 64, no, no swap got used with the Canon CR3 files. So interesting how the swap was used. And, and that means if you add up the memory plus the swap, the interesting thing is then it took, it took more, C, more memory on an M1 Mac than it did on a PC. It would probably be about 40 gigabytes of RAM for the same 300 files. They, they needed 40 gig to process where the PCs only needed 23. So that's like a 74% difference. That's a lot of difference. That shouldn't be to me. This points to a software issue. I think there's a problem with how, the M1s are processing, the software running on the M1s is using memory. Um, and, and it's kind of interesting how that is. And I have actually some more information about that. And we'll go through in a minute about how some raw types really made this a problem. So we'll, we'll get back to that. But I think there's just a software bug here, I think. And, and that's good news for M1 because uh, that means Topaz probably has, if they can kind of address the bug, then we may see performance increase significantly more on the M1s. Uh, just lots of, of work that can be done to really get that software tuned to run on M1 Max. Um, before we leave memory and whether or not that matters, which we said pretty much doesn't on PCs, as long as you have 32 gig or more, uh, and pretty much doesn't on Macs either, um, other than you know the amount of swap space that gets used. Let's talk about... Um, the memory modes that Denoise AI offers. There's three modes. You can run Denoise AI using high, medium, or low RAM. So I ran Denoise AI on my 13-inch M1 Mac with uh, 16 gig of RAM. This was before I had the 14-inch. And the difference between high and medium was 1.11% in time. It was slower in medium. 
but it used exactly the same memory metrics. It had it went to a max of 15 gig of RAM usage, and swap went up to 19. So it was a tiny bit faster in high and no different in the metrics. So I would just I would absolutely not use medium on an M1 Mac. Then uh, I did low and hoping that I I might get out of using swap. I mean, 16 gigabytes doesn't seem to be enough on an M1 Mac to process these images, meaning it had to go into swap in order to to have enough memory to do the job. So if I tell Denoise AI I have low RAM, what maybe it will either improve the speed or at least not use the swap. And that wasn't true in either case. So it actually was about 8% slower and it, the swap still got up to 16 gigs. So yeah, a little bit less swap, but, but it's still just crazy how much swap gets used on the M1 Max as they're processing it. So in the end, I would just run it in high, not worry about medium or low RAM modes. I, I don't think that's going to matter to anyone. I, I would just run it in high. doesn't seem to matter. Okay, I have two more metrics that we're going to go through. <laughs> I know this is long. I know it's a lot of data, and, and you're going to want to go over to the show notes to be able to see it, because I, I understand that it's hard to follow with the audio only. But let's let's talk about storage speeds. That's always a question, is does the storage speed matter with Denoise AI? And storage speed, what does that mean? Well, it's like most photographers have significantly bigger needs for storage than your average person. Most people, when they buy a computer, all they need is that computer. There's no external drive that they have to plug in because they don't need more space, especially these days with everything being online, pretty much even their documents, they don't need much storage on their computers. Photographers are really different because we need lots and lots of storage on our computers to store all of our images. And so um, that means for most photographers, external storage. And that means questions about like, is this storage fast enough? When I'm using this USB 3.0 connection, is it fast enough? Or do I need something, do I need to pay for a newer computer that has faster ports and uh, storage that's more expensive so it can be faster? Does it matter? So I did the tests. I ran this with um, internal SSDs on these Macs that are insanely fast. I had an internal SSD on a PC that was a PCIe connected SSD. I had Thunderbolt 4 connected storage. I had USB 3.1 Gen 2 connected storage. And I had USB 3.0 connected storage. So pretty much everything that most photographers would consider. I, I don't think any any of you listening would actually consider USB 2.0 or slower kinds of storage. It's just like laughable, the speed difference there and does absolutely impact it. But I've been saying for years now that USB 3.0 connected storage is um, is usually enough and doesn't significantly change the performance of the software. And so is that still true here? Especially because we have some new IO that is there. We have Thunderbolt 4, we have uh, controllers that have been built to be faster and we, are, we can get incredible speeds for read and write that's available. What's never ceased to amaze me, though, is as I've run tests not only of Denoise AI, but other software, the software never seems to leverage or fully utilize that massive read and write speed that's available. So across all of the tests, I, did, I don't know how many, I, there's, there's a chart in the show notes you can look at that has probably, I don't know, 15 or so different tests that I ran None of them used 
the full capacity of even the USB 3.0 storage speeds. So USB 3.0, in the testing that I did, I got real world about 100 megabytes per second of read and write speed uh, using tools on the computer to be able to to test that. Uh, So this isn't theoretical. This was real speeds. And the max read speed that I actually measured was 80, and the max write speed was 25. So easy math because it's 100 megabytes a second as the baseline or as the the speed that was available. Denoise AI only used 80% of that read speed at the best and 25% of that write speed. And when the storage got faster, it just used about the same speeds still and just less of a percentage. So at the worst, the very fastest was the internal SSD on the 14-inch M1 Pro that I tested. I didn't do this test on the M1 Max machines, but the uh, on the M1 Pro has really fast high high speed controllers where there's just uh, it's numbing. I just can't believe the speeds that you get from those machines. And Denoise AI used 0.1% of the read speed and 0.2% of the write speed in those tests. So, yeah, that's 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 not great. Um the the speed of the storage doesn't look like it has a dramatic in- impact. That said, there is a an increased impact with USB 3.0 that I haven't really seen as much of to date. Um, like I said, I've been saying for years that USB 3.0 is fast enough. It doesn't really matter to to use that. And the difference um, in my eight year old PC in the Denoise AI tests, the difference with USB 3.0 versus the very fastest internal SSD was about 13% difference in time. So yes, that's something probably not really super noticeable, first of all, 13%. And secondly, the price that it takes to upgrade or to have faster storage than that, probably not worth it. Uh, to the, the cost of, of that storage is not worth it. But when we consider the very fastest Mac, so that was an eight-year-old PC, on the newest stuff, that that M1 Pro machine, it was actually about a 30% difference. So now we're getting into territory where that's kind of noticeable and that's kind of meaningful. I still think even with that, you're probably still fine to say, I'm just going to use USB 3.0 connected storage because it's cheap <laughs> in comparison to the other storage. And it's not worth the extra expense to get faster. And that's probably still true though we're getting on some shaky ground here and it may be the case soon that USB 3.0 connected storage just is becoming a problem for you. So you're going to have to decide, of course, is 30% something that you're willing to spend more money on to make it just that much faster or are you fine with it being USB 3.0 connected? Um, I also should note that I did specifically test if you have to choose, like maybe you don't have enough storage that you can use really fast storage for both the source and destination of the Denoise AI files. Maybe you have 300 raw files you need to process and uh, you have to choose because you have such limited space on your faster storage. You have to choose if your raws go on there or if what, what Denoise AI processes gets written there. And if, if you have to choose like that, it's better to have the faster drive be the destination where Denoise AI writes the, writes the output 
and put your raw files on the slower storage if you have to kind of choose between the two. So good information to have because you can probably arrange that. Most of most photographers will have at least one drive that's a lot faster than the another. So now you know what order you should put them in. Put your raw files on the slower storage and then write the processed files out to the faster storage. Okay, last thing before I wrap up this episode. Does Denoise AI process raw files faster than others? Some raw types faster than others. And this is a test I've run across lots of different software now. And I've been amazed because this doesn't seem to be getting a lot of attention from most reviewers. But there's a noticeable difference between raw file types in every bit of software I've ever tested. When I do this test, uh, I always see a difference. There, The software doesn't perform the same across all raw file types. And to some degree, it could make sense. You could be like, well, some raw files are much bigger than others. So that, yeah, that means it's going to be slower to read. It's going to be slower to get into memory. It's going to be slower to process and it's going to be slower to write it out. Of course, that makes sense. So it'll be bigger, slower. And that's true, but there's some files that are not bigger and are still slower. <laughs> and so let's go through the results of what I did. And I actually had a lot of listeners want me to include their raw files in these kinds of tests. So I have even more to choose from as I do future testing of this. I have uh, I have Canon, Olympus, Panasonic, Panasonic, two different kinds of Nikon files. Oh, actually, three di- yeah, two different kinds of Nikon files, uh, Sony AR7R3 and Fuji X-T3. So I, I have lots of different raw file types to do this testing on now. So let's go from best to worst. Uh, Canon R6 CR3 files were the fastest. And then next fastest at 2% slower was Olympus ORF files. And those were actually, I think, smaller in file size. And yet they were slower. So that's a good example. 2% difference. They just weren't quite as fast. Now, 2%, not super noticeable. So it's not like you're going to see a massive difference. But it's not a direct correlation between file size and the speed of how the raw images are processed. Uh, third at 3% slower was the Panasonic GH5 files. Uh, fourth, 11% slower. Now we're getting into territory where it's like probably noticeable at 11% slower was the Nikon D3400 raw files. Then we have the Canon 5D Mark III CR2 files, which again are not dramatically bigger than the CR3 files from R6 the Canon R6, yet they were 15% slower. So yeah, noticeable again about it being slower. And then we get into just hugely noticeably slower, just massively noticeably slower. We have the Nikon D850 files that were TIFF format. And I'll tell you why I did a TIFF format of those files in one moment. Let's move to the next one. And by the way, that was 80% slower. Then we have the Nikon D850 RAWs themselves, and they were about 113% slower with an asterisk. We'll talk about it in a second. Then uh, almost at last, we had Sony A7R3 files. They were 127% slower. And very last, and not the biggest by a lot, they were smaller than many of them that were faster, the Fuji X-T3 RAF files processed 187% slower. That's a lot slower. So as you hear photographers or as 
as photographers are talking about, why is this so slow for me? And you're like, it's just fine for me. It could be that you're processing Canon CR3 files and they're processing Fuji X-T3 files. And just the raw file type is a massive, massive difference between the two. Now the note that we need to get through. There was a huge bug. I already mentioned kind of the sort of memory leak thing I think is happening where as raw files are being processed on an M1 Mac, it gets into using swap in massive ways. And and it seems to need way more memory than is needed on a PC. There's something wrong with how the raw files are being processed on the M1 Macs compared to the PCs. And that became a massive problem for these Nikon D850 raw files. I actually couldn't get the 300 NEF images from the Nikon D850 to process on the M1 Pro Mac with 16 gig of RAM. It failed every time I ran the test. And I ran it many times trying different things. It failed after about 125 images where Mac OS stopped the application from processing because it hit a swap space of 50 gigabytes. And um, I couldn't get it to, to work. I tried uh, converting to DNG. That didn't change anything. It still stopped near that 125 image mark. Again, failing with 50 gigabytes of swap space used. Uh, I then tried converting to TIFF. And that's why I have the TIFF metric. That worked. That actually worked really well because not only did the processing time decrease, it also used almost no swap with the TIFF files. I think it got up to one gig of swap space. And so that's interesting. TIFF is not quite the same as the raw files as far as format goes. You still retain all of the data. And I think the TIFFs were actually a little bit larger than the raw files, the NEF files. Yet the TIFFs processed without a problem. I got all 300 to process. They were slower than the other raw file types, but it, they, it, it at least worked. The other thing that worked was I processed 100 images at a time on that M1 Pro with 16 gig of RAM. And then I would shut down Denoise AI so that it could clean up the memory and then restart Denoise AI and process the next 100 and that worked. And that's actually what is the time on the NEF files that I have for the 14-inch Mac. Then I had a, a listener run that same test because after I observed this result. I had to have somebody with more memory on their Mac, their M1 Mac, run this test with these same Nikon D850 files to see what happens if you have 64 gigabytes of memory available. And astoundingly, it wasn't enough. It was enough to make it finish, so that M1 Max machine with 64 gig of RAM did process all 300 raw images without having to shut down to noise AI and restart it, but it also used 36 gigabytes of swap space to get there. Wow, that's a lot of swap space. So if you add the both of them together, you're talking about almost 100 gigabytes of RAM and that, that was needed to process these 300 raw files from a Nikon D850. There's something wrong there. There's something <laughs> that uh, that needs to be fixed to be able to to get that to work better. Um, is I don't and I don't think it's super specific to the Nikon D850 files. Um, obviously, they're different and harder for Denoise AI to process. I think that there's just a, like a, an actual underlying bug across all of the raw processing 
that Denoise AI does where it's using more RAM than it should be to be able to process these files. Uh, M1 Macs seem to make up for it because they have such blazingly fast SSD speeds and it makes the, the swap usage negligible and even perform better than the PCs that I tested. But uh, yeah, I think there's a bug. I think there's something that they need to look at. And I've created a bug with Topaz Labs outlining exactly these results already. They haven't got back to me as of the recording of this this episode, but it, it does seem to be a problem. So that's that wraps up my testing. 20 plus hours worth of testing, 300 images per per time. And, you know, I, I don't know, 50 some odd tests that we ran. It was a lot of testing to be able to get that level of information. But hopefully you'll have this. And as you're considering buying a new computer, if you are going to be using Denoise AI, now you kind of know what you should look for as far as the specs on the computer and what matters and what doesn't to be able to, to do this. So I hope that's helpful. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I want to remind you that you can find my work over at jaceharmonphotos.com. You can find the show notes, and I know you're going to need those here for this episode over at phototacopodcast.com. You can catch up with me on Instagram at um, Harmon Jeff. You can uh, Facebook, I'm Harmon.Jeff, and on Twitter, which is where I actually most of my time, I don't spend a lot of time on the other two, I'm at Harmon underscore Jeff, and all of that is in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, love to have you contact me if you have specific topics you'd like to see me cover here on Photo Taco. You can kind of see the level of detail I like to get into the, the, the episodes. It means it takes a lot of time and prep work to get there so that I have an episode ready to go. But if you'd like to contact me, you can comment on any of the posts on the site. You can go in the Facebook group. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash Photo Taco. Also a link in the show notes to that. Or you can send me an email, phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question too basic or too complicated. If I don't know the answer, and I often don't, then I'm going to see about getting an expert guest. And we'll come through and talk in, in very detailed level with your question and uh, and see what we can come up with as an answer. Views expressed on this program by independent hosts and callers do not necessarily reflect the views of Master Photography Podcast, LLC, or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where permissions are. Olay!